Hi, it's John here reporting from the wilderness. And first of all, let me say Happy Christmas to all my listeners. I'm absolutely thrilled that you've decided to take a few minutes out of the busy Christmas Day schedule to listen to this podcast. I'm really touched that you'd rather be listening to me than peeling sprouts and what have you. So uh, I hope that you enjoy this one. And we're in Numbers chapter 11, and it's quite a complex passage today. There are actually three different stories which are interwoven, uh, and as we've learned already in this series, there are different sources at work, and the uh, stories are, are not always that skillfully woven together. The first incident is at a place which came to be called Tabarah, which means burning, and uh, you can see from the reading why it was given that name. (coughs) The people complained about their hardships, unspecified, causing God to send fire upon them. Now, before we start thinking that's a bit harsh and and certainly a bit harsh for Christmas Day the Hebrew doesn't suggest that God set fire to any people and it's been suggested that um, the outskirts of the camp in verse 1 may simply mean that he set fire to a few bushes Uh, around the edge of the camp, possibly some tents, uh, we don't know. But fire in the Old Testament always symbolises the presence of God drawing near to people. So you've got the burning bush, you've got the firework display on Sinai, uh, and so on. So really, I think this uh, little incident is probably best understood as a warning shot against the people's bowels. Remember I'm here, I can hear what you're saying and thinking, and your hardships that you're grumbling about um, are actually part of my plan for your salvation. Then, from verse 4 onwards, you've got another story, and this sounds very much like Exodus chapter 16, which we did Um, in this series several years ago it seems now Um, and it may be that this is the same incident and uh, written up here by a different source but it is worth looking at some of the differences because I think they're significant in Exodus 16 the people having just set out on their journey are crying out because of the lack of food. Here they're crying out because of the lack of variety of food. Exodus 16 uh, simply says we had all the food we wanted in Egypt, which is almost certainly not true. Here they're missing particular foods cucumbers melons leeks onions and garlic and all they ever get is blooming manna we then get a description from verse 7 of the manna it's hard to fathom uh, what it actually was there's no 
particular botanical equivalent known in that region. And Psalm 78 definitely presents it supernaturally as the bread of angels. But they're still sick of it in spite of that. And to be honest, I have some sympathy with them if they've eaten nothing else for one year. Although, having said that, it does seem a strong reaction. In verse 10, the people are wailing. Uh, there, there are times when I really fancy a curry, uh, most of the time, if I'm honest. But I'm not sure, honestly, that I'm invested enough to wail over the lack of cucumbers or melon in my diet. So that's the uh, background to the story. That's what's going on. And perhaps uh, one most helpful way to look at this complex text is to look at it under three headings or ask three questions of it. What's the problem? What are the causes of the problem? And what are the outcomes? What are the results? So that might help us get some sort of framework for this. What's the problem? Well, hardship, we've heard in verse 1. And lack of variety of food are the presenting problems. But as any pastor or counsellor will know, the presenting problems are not usually the real reasons. They're usually symptoms of something deeper underlying. And we're going to see that in Trump's in the next uh, chapter that we look at. So let's go a little bit deeper. If they're the problems, what are the causes under them? Well, I think there are two hidden here. But let me make another point uh, before we get to those. Verse 4 starts with the rabble with them. And it seems to be the case, and we've seen that already with the story of Ruel, or whoever he was last week. It's not just the Israelites on this journey. There are others too who have not known God, who have not been part of the chosen people who have not been around for their backstory but now they're coming along on the journey because they can see the possibility of a better life but here they are clearly presented as those who instigate this trouble and the rabble begin to create crave other food and the Israelites started wailing as a result. They, they've stirred up that kind of trouble and rebellion. And I've seen that in lots of churches that I've worked with, um, both as a vicar but also as a, a consultant. There's trouble very often caused by those who have come along for the ride for whatever reason. Maybe... Not that committed to God, but they just like the company. They just like ringing the bells. They just like singing in the choir, whatever it may be. But sometimes there's very little understanding of spiritual things. And so they react to problems in a worldly and a human way. And the great strength of the Church of England 
is that it does welcome anybody. You don't have to pass any tests to be a member of the Church of England. But when you get people trying to run the church without that personal relationship with God, then so often there's trouble ahead. And I've seen it loads and loads of times over and over again. And so here they're stirring up trouble and it, it's catching. It's like a pandemic. The people soon join in. Those who are God's people who ought to know better uh, join in with this uh, negativity. So what are the causes? Number one is a lack of faith in God, whether that is amongst the rabble or amongst his own people who have already seen him do and promise so much and yet they failed to learn the lessons. They're still as scared and as insecure as they were standing on the banks of the Red Sea. Why don't we learn from experience? Why do we seem unable to look at what God has done in the past and allow that to give us confidence in the future? Well, for some people, it may be that they've never actually seen God doing anything in the past, so there's nothing much uh, to go on. But for those who are God's people, it really is worth spending time counting our blessings, looking for evidence of God's hand and letting that build faith for the future. The trouble is, though, hardship and presumably lack of cucumbers has a way of overwhelming past victories. It's, it's immediate. I need a cucumber now. And the fact that God has provided for me faithfully for decades in the past can vanish in the urgency of the moment. And that's why it's important, I think, to, to get in the habit of thanksgiving, to rehearsing to ourselves those blessings that we've known from God. So that's one reason they, they haven't learnt to develop their faith. But I think there's, there's a deeper issue and this is the real killer and it's nostalgia. There's a saying that nostalgia isn't what it used to be. But in my experience it's just as powerful as ever. And again in my uh, work over the last 40 years I've seen churches living in the past, remembering supposed past glories. And so the direction of gaze, if you like, is, is always backwards and never forwards. And woe betide anyone who tries to get them to look forward. Woe betide anybody who dares to suggest that the past maybe wasn't quite as wonderful as they've remembered it to be. Especially if that person is a new vicar who hasn't been a part of their story. Who hasn't been around for that glorious golden age when the previous vicar was there. Nostalgia isn't looking back and counting your blessings to build faith for the road ahead. Nostalgia 
is harking back, wishing we were still there. And when all our focus is on the past, it's very hard to move into the future. I think that's uh, partly responsible for driving Brexit, this supposed uh, era when Britain was great. It's certainly responsible for stagnation in many, many churches. And a leader is one who calls people forward. And if all we want to do is hark back, then leaders have a very hard job indeed. And of course, uh, as we've hinted, the past is usually idealised. You know, seriously, melons? Come on. You're saying it's worth being a slave and labouring all day with or without straw to make your bricks just so you could have melons? Did you even actually get any melons? Golden ages have a habit of glowing ever more brightly with time. And they were rarely that good in my experience. But while people are idolising the past, they find it impossible to focus on the future. And that is the bane of many churches' life. So what's the outcomes? What's the results of these incidents? Again, first of all, before we answer that question, note the honesty of Moses. We're we're going to see him arguing with God uh, quite a lot. We already have seen that, but this is perhaps the clearest and strongest example of him pouring out his grief and anger to God. And it ends with a request for God to kill him. Don't know whether you've ever felt like that. I must say I've come close at times. I've never actually asked God to kill me because I'm slightly afraid that he might answer that prayer. But but there are times when I really have got in touch with uh, several people in the Bible who did ask him to. People who Moses is supposed to be looking after, uh, are just too much a burden for him to carry on his own. Their needs are impossible to meet, and all he can see is his own ruin, verse 15. Uh, that may, that ruin, uh, we're not told what that means, it may be his ruin would be to have failed in the task that God had given him. Or maybe it's worse than that. Maybe he can see the possibility of death at the hands of an angry mob because uh, he doesn't come up with the goods for the people. And all this is too much for him to bear alone. So what is God going to do in response And I think this passage uh, shows God doing four things. Number one, he provides for Moses. And you've got slotted in here from a different source the story of the 70 elders receiving the Spirit so that they can assist Moses in his leadership. We've already seen that although 
it's possible to think of Moses as somewhat to the right of Attila the Hun in his leadership style. He's never too proud to accept help. We saw the legal system that was set up in Exodus 18 and now we get these elders and they're, they're a little bit shrouded in mystery. We're not clear what they actually did and we're not even clear how many of them there were. Different versions have 70 or 72, interestingly, um, the, the same as in Luke's Gospel. Did Jesus send out 70 or 72? We're not clear. But we can resolve that if the 70 doesn't include the two lads who were not there but still received the Holy Spirit. And 72 actually makes much more sense as a number because you've got six from each of the 12 tribes. And uh, again and again in the Old Testament, and we're going to see it in a few chapters time, it's important that the uh, work is spread out equally among the, the 12 tribes. So probably 72 is authentic and the Greek texts of the Old Testament say that but the Hebrew uh, only says 70 but possibly uh, plus Eldad and Medad which, which would make it okay. Note that the administrators in Exodus 18 have to be capable and they have to be honest. <laughs> be great if uh, our leaders fulfilled those two uh, characteristics but the elders here are filled with the Holy Spirit it's been said that the difference between men and women as pastors is that men immediately want to fix it but women want to ask but how are you and give them a hug uh, or something like that. Now it's obviously a very sexist comment and I'll leave you to judge whether it's true or not. But interestingly, God does both here. He is going to provide quail, but he also cares for the burden that all this is putting on Moses and he does something specific to help with that. Secondly, he provides for the people. Now apparently it's not uncommon to see million, literally millions of quail flying past uh, around this time of year in the desert. And uh, they're low flying birds and they would normally fly about two cubits off the ground. Um, What's that? About um, three foot, something like that, a metre off the ground. And the Hebrew might mean that um, they were flying that low rather than there were heaps of them two cubits high. You also get, I think, a little bit of exaggeration here, if we're honest, to, yes, God uh, supplies abundantly, but... It's hard to believe that no one gathered less than one and a half tons of quail. Uh, that would certainly um, quench your appetite, I think. Um, 
and again, like the manor, it's presented as the supernatural work of God in great abundance, even if it perhaps is slightly exaggerated. But the third thing God does is that he punishes the people. And it's been suggested that this is merely uh, an outbreak of tummy ache after a very restricted diet and suddenly everybody has at one and a half tons of quail because uh, they're suddenly going mad on it. It's presented as another warning to the nation and clearly some died because they had to bury them. So it's not a particularly happy ending. But let us end by looking at the God of this story. The God who warns people with the fire of his presence, reminding them never to forget who he is and how it is appropriate to speak to him and of him. He shows pastoral care to Moses and does something practical to ease the load. He fills people with his spirit. He answers prayer and feeds people. But he still, again, full circle, has to remind them of who he is, how he will not ultimately put up with moaning against him and against his leaders. And in the lovely fluffiness of Christmas, let's never forget the advent that we've just been through. Make sure we are his people, not just the rabble, filled with his spirit, looking forwards, not backwards, to what he is going to do. Have a wonderful Christmas. You can get back to those sprouts now. Um, I'm going to take a little break and I'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks time.